what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh hey josh we got jays jumpers jaron jackson juniors john rants joe johnson's jaw refs of course we've got jays we got him for days josh are you so i thought since we have an ap top 25 now it might be fitting to look back at last year's preseason top 25 would you like to reflect for a moment sure let's do it <laughs> Would you like to try and guess some of the teams in the preseason top 10? Sure. Um, so Gonzaga was there. Yep. 55 first place votes. Number one. Baylor was there. Eight. Texas was there. Five. Very good. UCLA was there. Two. The other team that got first place votes. Houston was there. Houston was 15th. Really? Okay. Yes. Um, Kansas was there. Number Duke three. was there. Number nine. Duke was nine? Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, Villanova was there. Four. What am I missing in the top ten? One, two, so six, seven, eight. Six, seven, ten. Sorry. Um, let's see. Let's throw some... There's some Big Ten teams in there. Um, Purdue. Seven. Is there another Big Ten team in there? Yeah. The team that was supposed to go toe-to-toe with Purdue in the Big Ten. Michigan? Yep, six. Were they really? Yep. Michigan was six. Wow. Um, And I'm missing one more. Yeah. Is it an obvious one? This is a team that ended the year in the top 10. I do believe so. From a definitely from a seeding standpoint. Let's go to the last AP poll. Stand by. Yes. Yeah, this I mean this was a top 10 team. Might not be the most obvious answer, but if I tell Kentucky. you Kentucky Bingo, very good. Very nice. It's not a bad performance. No, not at all. Some other notable ones. Memphis was 12. North Carolina, 19. Maryland, 21. St. Bonaventure, 23. Auburn, 22. Florida State, 20. Tennessee, 18. And Virginia, 25. I'm just always interested because I feel like we all freak out about these polls and then ultimately, yes, they're going to tell you some things. I mean, Kansas won and was number three in the country. You know, mm-hmm. but there's also always a team or two up near the top of this, if not three or four in the top ten that ultimately disappoint. So I just feel like we overreact a little bit, and I always like looking back to see how close it actually was. So there you have it. Yeah, preseason rankings week when all of these, you know, the the media polls and the the conference polls are a little bit more telling because those mm-hmm. are typically but like with all due respect to ap voters i refuse to believe ap voters actually put a ton of like effort into the ap top 25 and you can't say anything in reaction to rankings without disrespecting somebody's team or could be you know completely you know oh my god do you think that team is that high i am I, i'm just to your point the the AP top 11, I think, is what it is, is like typically I think like typically the national champion comes from the AP top 11. Mm-hmm. Like that's Something like that. that yeah. 
that someone in that so in theory if you want to bet on a college basketball team to win a national championship just bet on all 11 of those first teams uh, of those first 11 teams and one of them is probably going to hit um but apart from that right there's this you know let's just tweet them out and let's move on let's actually get to, it's the same way i feel with, about kempom it's mm-hmm. like we're we're putting stock in it's just not oh, that big I- I just I I can't find myself to care at all about Ken Palm preseason rankings. Right. Just because AP, okay, it tells you something about what people feel, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of predicting statistics, if that makes sense, that just I mean, of course, Ken Palm's got to start somewhere so he can actually build the algorithm. But yeah, I just I don't care what the numbers predict you're going to do. I care what the numbers say you have done once we get into the season. Exactly. For what it's worth, those 11 teams this year, North Carolina, Gonzaga, Houston, Kentucky, Kansas, Baylor, Duke, UCLA, Creighton, Arkansas, and Tennessee. That's right. So that's, you know, I think I just named eight of the teams you just asked me to name in last year. (laughs) Definitely some repeats in there, yeah. The newcomers are North Carolina, Houston. Creighton. Creighton and Arkansas and Tennessee. Yeah. And they were, I believe, every single one of them was ranked at the beginning of. Oh, not Creighton, yeah, but the rest Creighton. of them were, you know, somewhere in the teens kind of thing. Right. So yeah, it's certainly like not that like they're strangers to being placed with, you know, having expectations placed on them at the beginning of the season. Right. Oh, it actually tells you. It tells you how far they moved up from. I'm guessing you said Houston was 15th in the it's preseason just- poll. Yeah, well, Houston is three this year, and there's a 12 uptick. You said Kentucky was seven, right? Kentucky was – stand by. I'm going back to last year. Preseason. Houston was 15. Kentucky was 10. Kentucky was 10. Okay, so, so I, I, think don't, it, I don't know what these – I don't know what these AP – I guess be, it's from the last AP poll of the year. That's what I'm assuming here. We're going to confirm. Houston there- wasn't – yes. Kentucky was seven, Houston was 15 in the last AP poll. So there you go. When does the last AP poll come out? After the national championship? No, before, I believe. Because it says North Carolina did not move at all at the one spot. Oh, maybe ESPN just doesn't. Because ESPN has a list from, they don't have the final one in there, though, I don't think. So maybe, I think maybe there is one. I don't know. But even then, that wouldn't make sense because yeah. Kansas won the national championship. Whatever. It's... Yeah, that that part's confusing. Anyways, um, enough. Yeah, if, if if nothing else, that means that we're close enough to the regular season that people want to talk about who the <laughs> want right. to talk about preseason rankings. That's yeah. That's a that's a good sign. Absolutely. That means we're that means we're threatening for sure. Um, it's Pac-12 week around here. Two more conferences to to preview Pac-12 this week, and then we'll talk SEC to kind of round things out and then kind of take a step back and look at the nation, some predictions, some Final Four stuff, all of that, all that fun stuff that we'll do right before the season actually begins. But we're two-thirds of the way through our, our big conferences, previews, everything else we've already done is up on our podcast feed. You can go back and listen to those. Um, a, a two-man conference preview along with an interview, uh, a, a conversation with somebody else that covers or is familiar with the conference 
on that on that roster this year. Brendan Marks from the Athletic, Lucas Harkins from Heat Check College Basketball, Kendall Kaut, who wrote a book and covers the Baylor Bears, wrote a book on the the national championship season, um, and who am I missing? Kevin Sweeney. Oh, and Kevin Sweeney. Right, I slept through that one. Sorry, Kevin. Um, and Kevin Sweeney to talk about the Big Ten. So all of those on our podcast feed if you'd like to go and check those out. But Pac-12 this week, you guys know the drill at this point. If you've been around five columns, uh, categories that we use to dissect the conference and try to talk about as many as possible, the most exciting team, the most intriguing team, storylines, NCAA tournament teams, and then, of course, a winner. Mr. Doring, anything else we need to discuss before we hop into the most exciting team in the Pac-12 this season? I am ready to hop. All right, jump in. Cannonball, preferably. Absolutely. Uh, my most exciting team is Oregon. Okay. I don't know how much you've seen of Kellel Ware. That man is a monster. Incredibly impressed with the little bit of highlights I watched of him. He's this guy who was a super late bloomer all of a sudden he's a top 10 recruit in the country and my goodness does he have physical skills <laughs> so you add him to the returning trio of will richardson quincy garrier garrier and wow i butchered that gurrier and nefali dante who are all back i mean dante's probably gonna come off the bench because of where which is an incredible thing to think about you got multiple you know five-star caliber recruit centers here and you bring in Jermaine Cousinard and Keyshawn Bartholomew from high, you know, high major productive transfer. Cousinard from South Carolina, Bartholomew from Colorado. So he already even knows the Pac-12. On paper, it looks great. There's all kinds of potential here. Sometimes Oregon doesn't live up to said potential, but Dana Alban never fails to restock his team and have an incredibly gifted roster, and he's got one again. So I'm very excited to see First of all, I'm I'm all in on Kellaware. I'm very excited to see what he does and also just what this team can do after a somewhat disappointing season here where they've kind of gotten to this place where they're not, you know, perennial final four contenders where it felt like no matter how the regular season went, you looked up and there was Oregon as a two seed and they're in the Elite Eight. You know, it's been a little while since that was happening. Right. Um, I think there's a chance that two guys start together. That would also be quite something. I mean, especially, and, and there's clearly a, some foundation of a jump shot there for Kalelaware. So if if that translates quickly, then sure, let's just put both of them. Let's just put both of them in there. Um, this is my most intriguing team. Okay. Because they're still, like, this team was incredibly underwhelming last year and in a lot of different ways. And... I'm just like, like, is Will Richardson the junior? Like, is is Will Richardson the senior going to figure something out that w- Will Richardson the junior didn't? We're, we're kind of been having the same conversation about Will Richardson for a couple seasons now, yeah. right? I mean, pretty much since. I mean, the the, the difference between the last couple of years with Oregon and you know starting three years ago is. Right, you went from Dylan Brooks to Peyton Pritchard, so you had like these six years of 
dude that's just on the floor that is while also being the best player on your team or at least one of them is also the guy that makes everybody else on your team better and i am just not totally convinced that there's anybody else there's anybody on this team that actually actively makes the other guys on the team better which is which then leads you to the questions you know the the fair questions about okay it was an Oregon team that was underwhelming in a lot of ways, right? I mean, it's a team that on paper, to your point, should be better than it was last year. Um, that's a team that finished 82nd at Kempom, 82nd. And there were just, you know, they were they were somehow just inside the top 300 in offensive rebounding when Infale Dante is on your basketball team. <laughs> That one, that one doesn't make a ton of sense to me. They just didn't do – their defense was was atrocious for power conference standards, and they just didn't do a, a ton well. And then with all – but with all of that being said, everything that you've just said – oh, I switched this. They are not my most intriguing team. I totally forgot. I switched this. They were oh. my most intriguing team. I made a switch. Okay. Um, I, I did have all of these things on my – on my document here. I apologize. So I have oh, another team that we can discuss. Okay. Um, but oh, so they're not your most exciting team either. No, they're just a team. Oh no, okay. they're just a team. But at <laughs> okay. one point they were my most intriguing. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, okay. No, it's all good. I mean, I do the same thing. I've got I've just got notes about every team. So whichever ones you pick, I just then go bring up things I want to talk about for that team. So oh yeah. We're all so good. so I I'm sorry. No, but um, but yeah, I just does it do we translate to a version of this basketball team that is of higher quality than the one that was that we got last year mm-hmm. and also you know, that's part of Dana Altman's reputation right is that's a elite college basketball coach who always has his team ready and mm-hmm. right since you lost your all-american caliber player now it's not like it's been a decade since they've had one mm-hmm. but there's been a significant drop between Oregon of Dylan Brooks and Peyton Pritchard and Oregon without that national star. Mm-hmm. Does somebody become that player this season? Can they get more out of the collective? Yeah. I'm just, I'm really, really interested and think this team could be a lot of fun if everything does click and fall into place. And then the other thing I'll add is that the depth is going to come from guys who weren't wearing Oregon jerseys last year, at least for mm-hmm. the most part, whether it's, you know, you got some JUCO trans. You know, Tyron Williams as a JUCO transfer. Um, Keyshawn, ba- Keyshawn Bartholomew from Colorado. He's the at least coming off the bench right now, the most productive college basketball player from a year ago. Rivaldo Soares is still there, um, but if there's going to be some depth here, it's going to come from guys that um, Brennan Rig- Rigsby, also a Northwest uh, Northwest Florida State. Yeah, that's. It's powerhouse, man. That's a long way to go. Is that a, is that the farthest? Did we just find the furthest transfer in terms of miles? Like that one guy, like the, the as far away as the two schools are apart. Unless somebody transferred to Hawaii, but I was I gonna say that doesn't really count. If you keep it, if you keep it continental, unless you had somebody from you know southeast Florida State, <laughs> I think probably. Or you I'm know, look, my, I'm, I'm, I'm Miami to Washington or something, but I, I, a, I'm looking. I'm looking at Hawaii's roster right now. One moment. Okay, Le- legit contender, if nothing else, for sure. 
okay, fine. There was a Hawaii transfer that would Brock Hefner went from Hawaii to Brock Hefner went from Hawaii to Green Bay. Okay, fine. <laughs> Fine, 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 fine. Stand corrected. Fine. It's fine. It's whatever. I think we just say that's disqualified, but keep it continental. I'm fine with that. I'm all in for that. Um, but okay, now we had a conversation about Oregon because I thought it was my most intriguing team. Do you have, what do you have anything else in Oregon? No. I was all I just really want to talk about Kyle Ware because I'm all in. I'm fascinated. Yeah. He's got a he's got a similar body style to the uh to all the other big guys, you know, seven foot long, lanky guys that we're really excited about nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um I didn't think too hard for my most exciting team. My most exciting team is UCLA. Um to be honest with you, there are about four teams in this conference that are even worth consideration for most exciting team. Oregon's one of them, UCLA's the other, and there's a couple more that I'm willing to entertain. But um you know, bringing back one of the more consistent presences in the entire sport and Tiger Campbell at point guard. It's just like, you know, exactly what you're getting from Tiger Campbell at point guard. Yep. Um, Jaime Jaquez is there is kind of like the next, like the guy to step into the all American role. Um, that's just kind of, that, that's one of the bigger questions here is can he go from one of the better players in the pack 12 to a guy that's a go-to scorer that is, Hey, nothing else is going right tonight. Let's just give the ball to Jaime and hopefully he can carry us to a right quality quality college basketball win can he become one of the best players in the country and then the two the 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 thing that i'm the most excited about is these two freshmen that are on this roster and amari bailey and adam bona amari bailey is everything that ucla fans were hoping peyton watson was going to be last year at least in theory but uh, you know ability to get to the rim size strength athleticism and he's cradled in the protective bosom of Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell on the perimeter, like in terms of two guys that I'd like a freshman five-star to step in and kind of be around in his first year in college. Jaime Jaquez and Tiger Campbell is a pretty, is a pretty nice support support system and two guys that have been around for quite a long time. I'm really excited to watch him. I think he's, he looks like a, like a college ready guy already out of Sierra Canyon. And then there's Adam Bona and Bona might be the single most important freshman in the country this year. Yep. Because if it's not him at the five spot, if he's not any good, then this team is not going to be any good because there is literally nobody else. I mean, there's Kenneth Nuoba and Mac Etienne, but Nuoba has been at UCLA for four years and has never averaged more than 1.2 points per game or 6.4 minutes per game. And Etienne, who missed last season with an ACL injury, two season go- seasons ago was 2.6 points per game and 11.2 minutes per game. Both of those guys, Mac Etienne should be a contributor, at least on the offensive end of the floor, but neither of those guys are starting caliber players for a team that is has their sights set on being the best, the best team in this conference. Um it is Bona. I mean, and there are a lot of things to like about Bona. This isn't about me doubting him. Right. This is just right. about me recognizing the amount of pressure that's put on this five-star freshman to come in and like his development throughout the season, his readiness once the season starts, like from day one, from minute one of the regular season, he's got to be ready to go. And McCronin's got to be able to rely on him. Uh, as the the go-to guy at number five 
uh, at the five spot, or this is going to, there's a very, very real ceiling on a UCLA team that already has a pretty high floor because of the, the senior leadership they have bringing coming back. Yeah. That was the big point I was going to make is the freshmen in theory, fill the holes on the roster mm-hmm. and fill them incredibly well. They're a perfect fit, right? You need to replace miles Johnson. So you've got Bona. You need to replace some scoring on the perimeter. And so you bring in Amari Bailey who can just sort of, like you said, nestle in between Tiger Campbell and Jaime Hawkins. I'm a huge Jaime Hawkins guy, but Jaime Hawkins isn't going to go carry your offense by, you know, hitting isolation jumpers like his friend had a tendency to do over the past couple of seasons. That that's not what he does. He can shoot the ball. He can attack the basket. He's a terrific rebounder. I love him, but you're not just going to go say, give us 20 points on 20, 15, 20 shots. That's not his game. So you then put Amari Bailey kind of into that spot where right, you've got an incredibly steady point guard, another guy who's going to give you 12 to 15 a night at least. And, but also kind of does it in a non-flashy way that he doesn't have to take a bazillion shots, but you have to respect him. So, and then also, you know, you have Jalen Clark back, you have David Singleton back. David Singleton is one of the best shooters in the country. He can just come off the bench, and that's another dimension that you now have to pay attention to on the floor. It all works really well in my head if if it works. But to your point, there is a gaping hole at the center position. There is a solution. That solution just hasn't played college basketball before, so we have to see if that works. But if it does, I am 100% a believer in the potential of this team as a national title contender, if it ends up looking the way we think it can. Mm-hmm. There are just a lot of steps that need to happen, and it might take four months before this team really starts clicking because you're going to rely on these freshmen, and particularly Bona, to play such huge roles as we've talked about, that the UCLA that takes the court in November is not going to be the UCLA that takes the court in March. Well, if it is, it's gone horribly wrong. Right, right. In a good world for Mick Cronin and the UCLA fans, there is significant progress because those guys become really, really good college basketball players by the end of the season. So that's part of it, too, is I, I expect this to be a little bit bumpy. They're not going to be a consistent, oh, my gosh, look at UCLA, top five team in the country all season long. Mm-hmm. But in my head, if this looks the way I think it will, I want no part of them come March. The thing I'm it, the the last thing I want to add is is there hasn't really been a, a super productive freshman for Mick Cronin yet. In his first mm-hmm. year, in his first year, there was Jaime Hawkes who averaged nine, five, and one and a half. Tiger Campbell was eight, two, and five. So those two guys were those were those two guys were productive as freshmen, but. I don't I don't know I don't really have a point. It's just, you know, Jalen Clark was a top 85 freshman who it was two and a half points per game. Um, but then again, that's top 85. I understand we're not exactly asking that guy to be out of this world, especially when Ju Juzang Hakez, Campbell, Jules Bernard, Cody Riley, all of those guys are there. But last year went about as poorly for a top 10 recruit as Peyton Watson's year could have gone. And it wasn't just, you know, he didn't produce, he didn't play 
12.7 minutes per game. He didn't start. Yep. yep. Mick Cronin, Mick Cronin ident- clearly identified early that that guy wasn't ready to be a contributing member of that team. And maybe, it, it, you know, and maybe it had something to do with who, who UCLA had on that roster. But at some point, if Peyton Watson was good enough, he would have played more than 12 minutes yep. per game. He was he almost became I felt like a defensive stopper, right? It right. Was, that, that was that was his job is because he's so athletic and so physically gifted. You put him in there to try and guard some people on the perimeter, because that's about all he was giving you. Right. But even if but if he was good at that, he would have played more than twelve minutes per game. Like if he you know if he were if, if he, he truly was the ball was a an elite ball stopper, he would have played more than yeah. twelve minutes per game because you or, just find a way to get to keep that guy right. on the floor. Or if just his overall value. Maybe it was Mick Cronin was that concerned about him offensively. I don't know. But right. Right, his overall value clearly was not high enough that Mick Cronin said, I need him on the floor, which is concerning. And, you know, it's not like Mick Cronin had perennial freshman stars when he was at Cincinnati either. Yep. So right. this is just this will be new mm-hmm. for a Mick Cronin led squad to have their two freshmen be two of their four most important players. Yep. I mean, and if. I think there's a very real argument, right? The, for the floor, of course, Hawkes and Campbell are the most important. Before the ceiling, I think Adam Bona is the most important player on this roster in, in terms of where UCLA, UCLA actually gets in in terms of the national conversation. Definitely. Your most intriguing team. Bobby Hurley should just get an award for this annually. <laughs> Never fails. Whether they're the most interesting team in the country this year, I'm not giving them too much consideration for that honor. Mm-hmm. But every season, it's just, well, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of talent there. I'm not sure it's going to work. The track record suggests it's probably not going to look as good as it maybe should. Mm-hmm. So this year's addition is the return of two double-digit scorers, DJ Horn, Marcus Bagley, plus Luther Muhammad and Alonzo Gaffney. Then Bobby Hurley goes to work in the transfer portal. You get Frankie Collins from Michigan, Warren Washington from Nevada, and the Cambridge brothers from Auburn and Nevada, respectively. Austin Nunez is a top 100 recruit. They did go 7-1 and one to end the regular season, but this is also the team that, remember that one game they were playing? I think it might have been Oregon. They scored 36 points or something. You remember that? <laughs> and, you know, they weren't great last season, but they, like I just said, they ended well. So you've got a little bit of confidence and momentum coming in here with all of these new pieces in a conference where there are wins to be had. Could they turn into a dangerous top 25 team? Absolutely. Am I convinced that's what's going to happen? No. (laughs) This is just one of those every season. I could see it going 450 different ways. Oh, and just for the record, I have zero faith whatsoever in this becoming a top 25 team. Not for a single second do I think that this team is capable of that. Bobby Hurley's not that good of a coach. I and I generally agree. I don't think they're going to be, but would I be stunned? I would be stunned. I, I, will, be, I will I will put my foot firmly in that game. I will go to surprised and no farther than that. <laughs> because you know, I mean, we did see them get to a number one ranking at one point. They were never and, the best team in the country, but and then by the end of the year, we we're like, right. Yeah, that team was never actually that good. Right. So I'm just this program is one of the most interesting in the country to me because it's all right. There's always this talent. There's always something to be excited about. And more times than not, they just are an average Pac 12 team that misses the NCAA tournament. Right. But there's always something you could say, well, if this all comes together, look out. And this year is no different. 
I mean, I'm a big Devin Cambridge guy, so I'm excited that he's going to sort of get a fresh start here because I really thought he was going to put together, and I know that there were some other factors involved, but I thought he was going to put together a really, really good career at Auburn, and it didn't quite go that way. Yeah, you know, I I will forever be skeptical of the program that is year in and year out, like trying to find its most important players through the transfer portal. I mean, it just, I mean, DJ Horn, right, is back, and so is Marcus Bagley, but it's, right, we're talking, like, the most exciting players on this roster, at least the most anticipated ones, are now guys who weren't there last year, and it feels like that's kind of the same thing we talk about over and over and over again, and the best players leave. Remy Martin was like, yeah, you know what, I want to go find a place that I can actually win. Maybe Remy Martin was part of the problem to a certain extent, but... um I I'm to the point where I am just, I got no idea how to feel about Arizona. Well, I have a very, well, I know exactly <laughs> how to feel about Arizona state. Um, almost to the point of it just doesn't like, you really got to blow me away with your, with your roster for me to feel any differently about you than, mm-hmm. than I do about Bobby Hurley teams this year. And I don't really know what it is. I just, and I don't know who, you know, I don't know off the top of my head who was on that team, on that roster last year. So I'm going to look, but I bet it wasn't a team that we were like, yeah, that part team's probably going to be three games under 500. Maybe it was. Yeah, no, I remember at least. Okay. Maybe, maybe it was last year's roster. Wasn't all that. It all wasn't, that the, it wasn't the best team, but there was still potential there. You know, there's always. There's always but, something to say this could be a good season. But, but the year before that, they went 11 and 14, and Remy Martin, Alonzo Verge, Josh Christopher yep. were all on that basketball team. Not, that to was... mention, not to mention Marcus Bagley and Tayshawn Cherry, who were both top 30, top 40 recruits coming yes. out of high school. That was the most interesting team in college basketball that season. I distinctly remember that. Yes. So it's... we'll see. And it's also, we can just add the fact that if this season goes poorly, it might be Bobby Hurley's last in Tempe. Yeah, right. It's another one of those. He has the pieces, and the pieces have not translated. And at some point, you got to start asking questions about whether you want to continue doing the same thing over and over if you're Arizona State. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. My most intriguing team is Stanford. Oh, okay. Because I've... Because somebody like like I want to believe that this conference is capable of getting five teams into the tournament. I want to believe that. And I think Stanford is the team that fits that mold for me. So that is the that is part of what adds to the intrigue here. But let me break it down for you. Um, Stanford bringing back pretty much everybody. Yep. Um, a couple transfers lost, but they add da- uh, Michael Jones from Davidson. Um, 11 points per game last season, 42% from three point line. Exactly what you would expect from a Davidson guy. Right. Exactly. Um, you know, I was reading our, you know, the all encompassing almanac, the 800 page preview, um, magazine. And they started with, you know, it's Stanford. Not a lot of people want to leave Stanford, at least not until after they graduate from Stanford. And I was like, you know what? That's a pretty good point. I bet Jared Haas doesn't have to battle with people leaving his program nearly as much as some other places. Um, But so they didn't lose a ton. They brought a lot back adding Michael Jones. Um, But this is right. Continuity doesn't mean better. And that can, that, that 
remains true for the Stanford team that was 16 and 16 last year and pretty uninspiring, if not downright bad in a lot of areas, right? We're talking about 349th in turnover percentage. There were, you know, I could count on one hand the number of teams that were worse at taking care of the basketball than Stanford was last year. Um, They were, they did so many, despite having some three point shooters on this team, like some good ones. Like if you showed me their three point shooting percentages and then asked me to guess where they were efficiency wise and, and how that offense functioned, I'd probably drastically overrate the offense, but because there's just so much they did poorly to knock down their efficiency numbers. Um, They couldn't, they didn't make any free throws. They, you know, they got a lot of shots blocked. Like I said, their turnovers, just stifling any sort of chance they had at being an efficient offense last season. Um, So there's a lot to improve on here. And then with all of that being said, I like the trio of Spencer Jones, Harrison Ingram, and Michael Jones. I like that's a pretty good place to start for Jared Haas. Um, I I will always remember Spencer Jones as that guy with Terry Taylor that was supposed to just kind of be the next several years of, of Stanford, right? He was the other freshman on that team that that had Terry Taylor. Ty- Tyrell Terry, is that his name? Tyrell Terry, Terry Taylor. Ty- sorry, we're here in Indianapolis. There's a Terry Taylor on the Pacers. I'm sorry, Tyrell Terry. My apologies. I knew who you were talking about. Um, Tyrell Terry. My bad. And I had that. What I, I, I had, I have his name correctly on my piece of paper here. I apologize. Um, Tyrell Terry in 2019-20 he you know knocking down a lot of shots his three-point numbers haven't been quite as good since that first year but i still like spencer jones um harrison ingram was quietly one of the more productive freshmen in the country last year 10.7 rebounds three assists a game no reason to suggest he won't move in the right direction with uh, his production once again this year and then there's jones who adding a 42 percent three-point shooter helps helps in the offense especially one that is that has been around for a while in college basketball. So um, I'm just I, like, I'm, I'm looking here. I'm trying to convince myself that this team, that this conference can make, can put five teams in the tournament. I mean, that would be two more than they took to the tournament last year. Um, and actually, am I, is, is that wrong? Did they take three or four. Hold on. I believe it is myself. three. Yes, it is three. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in theory, Oregon's going to go back since Oregon didn't make it this past year. I'm looking and trying to find a team that's going to make it this year uh, to, to that has a chance to be fifth. I think Stanford is one of those teams that has a chance to. It's just going to take a lot of steps in a, a substantial steps in the right direction from a lot of the different areas of the roster to to actually send the Cardinal to the tournament for the first time in Jared Haas's era. Yeah. I had the same word efficient. I just applied it to Harrison Ingram in particular. Mm-hmm. Because to me, that's that's where your ceiling is going to get determined. That's where your NCAA hopes lie. You know what you're getting around him. We've talked about the the returning pieces and the, the good foundation Jared Haas has here. Harrison Ingram is the kind of guy that can take you from fine to good or from good to great. And there aren't that many of those kind of players that go to Stanford. Now, they've gotten a couple recently, and it hasn't exactly worked. But like you said, it's not – you can categorize Ingram as disappointing because he was not a major factor on the national scene despite being this highly touted recruit. But at the same time, like you said, 
he didn't struggle as much as some of the other five-star freshmen. You know, I think we got to just keep everything in context there. And he also played for Stanford in the Pac-12. He didn't play at any other right. point other than 10 o'clock at, on the Pac-12 network. Right. And he wasn't playing point. for a top 25 team. You know, this right. wasn't UCLA playing high-profile non-conference games. So he could be a big-time breakout star if he just puts the ball in the basket a little more consistently with all the other things he does already. Mm-hmm. And then you're really talking about something. This is another one of those teams. I feel like it's Arizona State and Stanford. You can always talk yourself into the talent being enough and on paper it being an NCAA tournament team. And then it just doesn't usually go that way for both of these coaches. You're in the same, you're in that position this season. There is enough here, absolutely, to get Stanford there. And there are enough wins in conference that they should put themselves in a position, depending on how non-conference goes to have a real shot in the final weeks of the season. I'm just not convinced it's going to go that way because history suggests another underwhelming season is entirely possible, Sure, which makes them intriguing. Right. But I'd like, I'd like to think that there are five teams capable of making the tournament here. Oh yes. We got to be optimistic. Yes. So they're my most intriguing team. All right. Storylines. Right. What you got? My first one is kind of building on that. What happens now? We went from all the UCLA excitement to two Pac-12 teams making the Sweet 16, neither of them making the Elite Eight. And so we weren't talking about the Pac-12. We weren't talking about Oregon State. We weren't talking about UCLA. We are, they did basically what they were supposed to in a season where the conference was bad. Like you said, three teams. Nobody had Nobody overachieved dramatically in March. So I didn't have to go on the Pac-12 rant this season. So also, collectively, as the college basketball landscape, we don't have to be super excited about any of these teams, right? I feel like there's this obligation to be excited about what UCLA did coming off the Final Four final four run heading into last season. These are just some pretty good teams on paper when you're talking about the top of this conference that could become factors in the national conversation. But it's a very different discussion because we're not expecting UCLA to go back to a Final Four. It's There are some pieces from that team. There are some new pieces to be excited about. We've talked about the five-star recruits. Can they do it? What does Arizona look like? And I'm sure we'll get to that more at some point without some of the key pieces from last season, but also a team that was one of the best five teams in the country from start to finish. You know, there are all of these, there isn't this pressure in these what I have always felt like were unrealistic expectations for this conference that has happened the past couple of seasons. It's just, I feel like much more close to actually talking about this conference the way we should, which is there are some really good teams in here who have an awful lot of potential, but they're not starting as some of the favorites to win the national championship. Could they surprise us? Prize us? Sure. Is it a guarantee that Pac-12 is going to have a top 10 team in the country? No. So that's part of this is just what do we do now that we're kind of back to where we should be talking about the fact. If I gave you over under 11, eh, over under, let's see, hold on one moment. Where did Arizona finish in the AP poll last year? One moment. Please, please. One moment. One moment. Um, they finished. 
I hate college basketball reference. Stop with the ads. Stop with the ads. Thank you. Oh, Josh, I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to lose it. Patient. Patience is a virtue. Okay, we've made it. We've made it. They finished second in the final AP preseason poll. Um, Postseason, right? um, It says final two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, Whatever that means. Whenever it came out, that's where they were. Okay. Um, So forget that, because if I gave you over under two and a half, of course you would go over in terms of the highest ranked (laughs) Pac-12 team (laughs) in the AP poll to finish the year. If I gave you... Okay, UCLA started at eight. We'll just bump it back to eleven and give you eleven and a half. Does a does a Pac twelve team finish in the top eleven and a half of the pre of the AP poll at the end of the year? Yes. And UCLA would be that team to do it. Are you higher on UCLA this year than you were last year? <laughs> I might just be. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That is the dumbest thing. I don't. I've ever I don't know that I'm necessarily. I'm close. I'm not. Are actually... you more confident in their ability to make the final four this year than you were last year? No, I wouldn't go that far. Okay. I would say I had them more as like team seven last season. I have them more at team 10 this year. Okay. Which is I that, still think, is is, that... which I still think is ridiculous considering that's fine. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome to have that, that, that frame of thought. Um, Where I'm getting at this is like, Arizona was an elite team last year. They were one of the more consistent in the country. They've earned that. They earned that spot. Um, Other than that, who was the last elite college basketball team in the Pac-12? Like truly elite. I mean, depends on your term, your definition. But the first thing that comes to mind is there were some awfully good Oregon teams during the Dylan Brooks era. Yes, there was the, the, I would, I would agree with that statement. Um, so Arizona finished fifth at Kempom last year, the year before that USC finished at sixth, but I think USC and, Colorado, USC and Colorado both finished top 10 in, in Kempom that year. I think we'd both agree that those are not yep. elite teams and USC nope. made it to the elite eight, right? That year. Yes, I do believe that sounds right. Um, the year before that. The highest ranked Pac-12 team was all the way down at 17. That was Oregon. That would have been Peyton Pritchard's final year. That was a team that was good offensively, but not good defensively. Yeah. That was not an elite team. They were a four no. seed in that. They were a projected four seed in that tournament based on, I'm guessing, Kim Pomeroy just did his own projections because there are projected seeds here, but at least that's what it looks like. Anyways, that was the year that didn't have a NCAA tournament. Oh, um, that would explain that. Yeah, okay. The year after the best team in the Pac-12 that year, according to Kim Palm, was Oregon. Oregon was a 12 seed that year, but Oregon also won some games in the tournament that year, right? Yeah, they beat Wisconsin and UC Irvine before losing to Virginia. But in terms of record, it was Washington at 27 and 9, and they were a 9 seed. This was the year that... Oh, that was the... Yeah. Okay. Yes. So we're all the way back to... 2019 2018 19 we still haven't gotten back to an elite college basketball team yeah um in 2017 18 the best team in the pac 12 that year was arizona and they were 28th at kempom that was a team that was top 15 in the country in offense but 83rd in defense that was the deandre eight and alonzo trier 
uh, Parker ah, Jackson Cartwright year. They were uh, not as good as they could have been. Raleigh Alkins, yes, that was a team that was that was good, not great, and they lost to Buffalo by twenty one by sorry by twenty three, twenty one. 21 in the NCAA in the first round of the NCAA tournament. That was that right. 413 matchup. Um, I could go back further. I think we're getting going to get pretty close to a Dylan Brooks type year. Oregon um, had back to back top 12s right before that. Okay. And then Oregon was a three seed and Arizona was a two seed the year before that. And UCLA was a three seed. That was the year that nobody was any good except for the very tippity top of right. that conference. That was yes. really good. Yes. Um, That's so the, when we started talking about. Yeah. So the point being that, that that Oregon team went 33 and six, that Arizona team went 32 and five, that UCLA team went 31 and five. It just, we're, we're to the point where it just doesn't seem Pac-12 teams just don't factor into the tippity top of the sport very often at this point. And like, do we ever see that again? Like we're getting to the point where that we might never see like the Pac-12's future is already up in the air because of, its biggest brands leaving the conference, but, or if it's the, at the very least, it's going to look vastly different um, after you UCLA and USC leave. But I just, I, at what point, I mean, do you have any faith in any of them to be elite? Is there even, is there two top 25 caliber teams? Do you think they could get a third top 25 team? Maybe there's a third that's a fringe ish top 25 team. Um, between Arizona, Oregon, and UCLA, um, it's certainly no more than three. But I'm just I, I'm so underwhelmed by the depth of this conference immediately. And you and I, you had talked about this at one point, mm-hmm. you know, just in passing about how bad the bottom of this conference was going to be. And it's just it's just so uninspiring to the point where I just am not sure how to think about any of the other teams in this conference. Yep, because of of how underwhelming the competition is and Arizona yep. deserved all the hype they got by the end of last season, sure. but, yeah. but they still needed everything to beat that TCU team in that awesome overtime game. But there were people who accurately were like, listen, that was awesome. Benedict Matherin was awesome. That still is a use is a TCU team that they probably should have beaten easier than that. Yeah. And then that's an got- average. Now a very good TCU team, an average big 12 team to continue right. to harp on the depth of right. that conference. Right. And then they got handled by Houston in the yeah. Sweet 16. Yeah. They were never, they, it was pretty clear from the jump in that game that Houston was just the better basketball team. Yep. And that's an AAC team we're talking yep. about. And- um, so, all of this really roundabout way of just talking about is there, is, can we talk about a Pac-12 team as elite before we see them in the tournament? Is that even, is that even fair at this point? Right. That's a very good point because I think that's one of the biggest problems I have with the revisionist history about this conference when somebody goes on a run mm-hmm. in the tournament. It's all of a sudden, oh, we underrated the Pac-12. Did we actually underrate the Pac-12? Probably not. Did we? Probably not. Or is it possible some teams overachieved a little bit over a four, five, six game stretch in March? You know, I'm, I'm right there with you. And that kind of gets into my second storyline which is i put them together but will the bubble teams and the freshmen deliver in this conference Mm. and i'm specifically thinking about the freshmen we've already mentioned ucla is going to not go as far as their freshmen carry them but the ceiling is going to be determined by those freshmen and how much they can contribute immediately like you laid out we already talked about also where at oregon to me that's another 
big determining factor in how good Oregon can be. And then the other freshman or the team that deserves mention in the freshman conversation is USC. Because unfortunately, your big time recruit, Invincu Uchukwu, his future is up in the air. Now, he is not the only highly touted recruit in that class. But does he end up actually being able to play, hopefully, at some point? And if he isn't, do the other freshmen in that class step up and help absorb some of the responsibility that was going to be placed on him as the next dominant big for USC that is just a factory in producing them at this point? So all of that, and then we mentioned this a little bit, but on the bubble teams part of this, the conference has gotten more than four bids. It was five. One time in the last five NCAA tournaments. Can you get, like you said, the Stanford's of the world, the Arizona States of the world, to not end up on the wrong side of the bubble and a little bit disappointing in 500, but end up five games over 500 with a solid non-conference and win enough conference games to get into the tournament. And all of a sudden we're talking about five and maybe six teams instead of three, hopefully four in a perfect world five, which is where this conference has been. Yeah. It's just, I, I'm not even sure that overachieving on the bubble is possible for the PAC 12. And that's my biggest thing at this point is that I don't like, because the definition, right. Overachieving in conference play as a bubble team is like man you got that win at home mm-hmm. against a against one of the six best teams in your conference that maybe you weren't supposed to get yep. um you maybe you went on the road and beat the fifth best team yep. in your conference kind of thing to really strengthen those to, to really strengthen that resume we're to the point at in the pac 12 that you get depending on how your schedule yep. shakes out you might get Two four, to four, yeah, four or five in a option, perfect world, right? Yeah. Two to four chances to actually because right, Colorado last year went twenty-one and twelve, was twelve and eight in conference, and didn't get all that close to making the tournament, right? Because everybody else below them was, I mean, you're just not beating anybody that is of any intrigue to, I mean, they got to play, they, they lost to Arizona, you know, even though they beat Arizona at the very end of the season, it was almost a lot. It was basically a lost cause at that point. Right. And it's, it's just so hard to overachieve on the bubble. If you don't get chances to, if all you get is chances to lose games that you probably shouldn't rather than win games, you might, yeah probably shouldn't right you got to keep your conference losses to something like six or seven to be in the conversation if like if that if that depending on right where the what those losses are what your wins are how things break out schedule wise well you had you you only had four three teams not win eight conference games in the pac-12 last year yep colorado finished fourth at 12 and eight california finished 10th or Stanford finished ninth at eight and twelve, and there were, you know, six teams in between, and then there was California, Utah, and Oregon State that everybody was beaten up on, but it just didn't matter. None of those teams were anywhere close. And if you're eleven and nine in the Big Ten, you're on the bubble. Yep. If not a lock. Right. I depending mean, you're, on you're depending not... on who that team is and who you right. lost to. Right. 
you I mean we're talking every year we're talking about teams. I mean, Indiana made yep. the tournament with an at-large bid because they made a little run in the conference tournament and they went yep. eight and twelve in the Big Ten. Yep, exactly. The margin of error is so, so slim. Yep. For the teams that don't begin the season considered a NCAA tournament projection. Mm-hmm. And heck, even the teams that don't, even the teams that do, right? Yeah. Do you have any more storylines? I do. Okay. Um, I've got one more as well. We talked about the tournament. Um, we talked about Oregon. That's I kind of transferred my intriguing team into a storyline with Oregon. The do all these dudes that Oregon have actually translate into better basketball? A um, lot of important players back, but is Will Richardson that guy to lead this basketball team? I think the question is fair. Um, the last thing I have is what does replacing NBA talent look like for Tommy Lloyd at Arizona? Um, There's a lot of things to really like about this Arizona basketball team. Um, It's not like they fell off a cliff in terms of talent. I mean, we're looking at a starting lineup that is right. Kirk, Chris, Courtney, Ramey, uh, the Texas transfer, uh, Pele Larson, um, Tubelis and Umar Balo. And Umar Balo. those are, I mean, that's a that's three juniors, a redshirt junior, and a fifth year senior, right? I mean, there's plenty of exper- college basketball experience here. Um, you've got a couple, you know, and then the depth falls off really quick. I mean, you've only got two guys that did any sort of production in college basketball last year, and really, it's one and CJ and uh, and Cedric Henderson Jr. from Campbell. Yep. Um, I mean, the other guy is Adama Ball, who averaged 1.5 points on 4.5 minutes per game. I mean, right? I mean, we can call that production if you want to. Um, but then it's a whole lot of freshmen. Um, and some of it, like, you're going to need somebody else to step up if you want to have any sort of depth. Um, but replacing for any head coach, replacing, um, you know, replacing Dale and Terry, Benedict Matherin, Christian Coloco, and Christian Coloco that's difficult for anybody. Um, and it's just going to be a completely different beast. I think here for Tommy Lloyd, who I think, I mean, I think you would agree with me that there's not an obvious, at least an obvious NBA talent on this roster. And maybe there weren't, there certainly weren't three obvious ones last year, but, um, (laughs) but you could have talked me into one of them at least last year. And so it's just going to be super, super consistent. Um, I mean, sorry, super, super different. And you're going to need somebody to be consistent and kind of be like, do they have right. The thing the part of what made Arizona so consistent last year was they always had a guy who was capable of being the best player on the floor. Yep. And I'm not sure like who is the guy that is capable on a consistent basis of being the best player on the floor against the top 15 team in the country. Because sometimes that's what it means. That's why Arizona beat you, beat TCU in the tournament. It's because they had the best player on the floor. And I'm not sure there's a guy that fits that bill for Arizona this year. But I like Tommy Lloyd. I believe in him as a basketball coach. Um, there's just going to be a lot of things different this year. Yeah. And it's not like the talent. I mean, they lost three really important pieces, obviously. But it's not like the talent fell off a cliff. The difference is, and you hit on it. And I harped on this last season. I think I mentioned it at least once or twice. It's not only that they had top-end talent. They were ridiculously long, ridiculously athletic, and just horrifying to play against because of the size and just 
the way they take up space on the floor. It was also that you had seven guys who were starting caliber players. So if Ben Matherin had a bad game, it didn't matter because Tubelis would get you 18 or Creasa would hit five threes or Pell Larson would score eight points off the bench. Or if Christian Coloco got in foul trouble, Umar Bala would go give you 24 minutes if you needed him. Maybe that's a slight exaggeration. But you, you did, the drop-off was not significant at all. It was the best set of seven players in the country. I firmly believe that. So now you're taking those guys who came off the bench, plopping them into the starting lineup, and replacing them with unknown quantities, like you said. And that scares me. I love this starting five. And Courtney Ramey could potentially take, now that he's kind of in this different situation and has arguably a little more help, but it's also playing a bigger role than he did for Texas last season. Maybe he comes and gives you 12 a game or something like that. But to expect this group, even with so much talent returning, to go repl- come close to replicating last season misses what made that team great, in my opinion. Because you lost some of your athleticism with Terry. I mean, with all three guys. Krista Coloco was a big part of that defense, too. And you just don't have the bodies. So what does it look like when you're relying on five starters heavily instead of sort of the seven-man juggernaut that you just put pieces and mix and match however you feel like when you're time rolling? Yeah, you know the the only thing I will the only thing I will say is that losing three of the third top thirty three draft picks in the NBA draft is your talent falling off a cliff. <laughs> That not 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 because it's anybody's fault, right? But because I mean, and and maybe, and and maybe right. We we added some, but we added Courtney Ramey and a transfer from Campbell. So I, right there, it was there was that elite combination of the two that yes. Arizona had last year right. that they don't have this year. And right, it's not it's not a knock on the current roster. I think it's just we'll look back, and I also think Benedict Matherin is going to be really really good in indiana i think that it might end up being a roster that we look back in seven years and it's like man that no wonder they went 33 and five those three guys were on that roster and not that i'm blown away by dale and terry or christian coloco but i think both of them can carve out respectable careers in the nba and i think benedict matherin has a chance to be like one b to tyrese halberton's one a in indiana with you know the the rebuild that they're going through i think there's a chance to that we come back and look at this roster and think oh my lord that one was truly truly special and based on what we know about them in the nba now it's kind of wild that they didn't go deeper in the tournament yeah and to be clear the ceiling is nowhere near as high right there's just not enough talent for them to be a top five team in the country because they lost those three guys. Mm. My point is just that is absolutely a top 25 team when you look at the starting lineup. Yeah, I would agree with that. And a team capable of competing in the Pac-12 to win the regular season championship. I firmly believe that. The difference is, you know, we're talking about at least six guys when we're talking about UCLA. We're talking about six probably guys at Oregon too. And you don't have maybe the depth shows up and all of a sudden Tommy Lloyd is overachieving again, despite what he did last season that. Yeah. So I'm, I guess I'm just not as concerned about the talent drop off 
from a can Arizona still be really good standpoint. Of course, they can't be last season because, yeah, you you can't replace those guys. But they do have five starting caliber players from that team returning, and that's got to count for something. Agreed. Agreed. Okay, I'm out of storylines. You got one more? Okay, I've got one more. Okay. Speaking of losses, which of the teams we haven't talked about yet can replace theirs most effectively? Washington, two double-digit scores, gone. Okay, you've got two interconference transfers and Keon Brooks. That's something. Your leading returner, returning scorer is Jamal Bay. Jamal Bay shot 33.6% from the floor. There's not a lot of a foundation there. Transfer is going to have to be huge for the Huskies. Washington State, four guys averaged at least eight points. They're all gone. Justin Powell was there. Hasn't really lived up to expectations. That's interesting. They did finish 44th in Ken Palm. Again, that team is basically non-existent at this point, but that's something. Colorado, top three scorers gone. Tristan De Silva's back in the front court. KJ Simpson is one of the breakout candidates in the conference. You got two guys who should be impact transferred from the Ivy League, but you're going from the Ivy League to the Pac-12. Oregon State has nine freshmen on the roster from a team that went 3-28 and and finished 233rd in Ken Palm. I want to repeat that. Can I can I bet the can I bet the like under 1.5 wins for the entire season? Man. Is that doable? I couldn't believe I could nine freshmen if you go look at their roster. And of course, these are not I mean, some of them are, you know, three star recruits or whatever, but it's not like they reloaded with high profile uber talented freshman that's it's just up christian Wright had averaged five two and two at georgia as a freshman so there there's something a little bit of infusion of talent and then finally cal three leading scorers also gone devin Askew's there now that's an interesting transfer that he may end up having a really good career there as the key guy at cal mm-hmm. so i just went through most of the conference now utah is the exception here your leading scorers brandon carlson marco anthony and three other key role players return you're bringing in some transfers who have experience at good programs, BYU, Wisconsin, Cincinnati, but they weren't particularly impactful there. So is the ceiling, you know, does this team have way more potential than last seasons that really struggled? No, but mm-hmm. at least you have something there. The rest of these teams in the bottom of the conference, I just went through all of them, right? You're losing two of your two or three leading scores. Some of these teams just don't exist anymore. And that's from a conference that the bottom half of, really struggled last season. It's not like anybody got better. They probably, as a whole, got at least a little bit, if not significantly worse. Right. It's concerning. Yeah. Now, Oregon maybe State. all these... Go ahead. Maybe the transfers surprise us and somebody has a great season. I would love to see it happen. Just based on what has come in and what left, it's not looking great for them. Bottom half of this conference. Oregon State is projected to beat four uh division one schools this year. They Ooh. are they are projected to beat Bushnell. The rangefinder, they're expected to beat them. They're expected to beat the rangefinders, the fighting rangefinders at Bushnell. Um they're expected to they're projected to lose to Tulsa at home to start the season. It's not a great place to start. 
Um, yeah, I think we set the over under at three and a half wins. I think we got to. Tough. Scene. There is a very real chance that they, like, like if they stumble a little bit and they don't get their because they're going to need to get one of their their first win against a Division One school in their first four chances when they play Tulsa, Florida, Florida A and M, and Portland State because then they go on a power conference run. Like if they don't win a game until December eighteenth against Green Bay, they've gone almost an entire calendar year without winning a basketball game. Their last win was December 30th of 2021. Yikes. They did not win a basketball game in the calendar year of 2022. That's yeah. tough. Yeah. See, the next game is to play. How close did they come to getting a win? They had a two-point loss at home to Cal. That's the – oh, and an overtime loss at home to USC. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they didn't come all that close. They really can't. They really whipped it into shape late in the year. They mm-hmm. really did. They really did some close games there at the end. <laughs> close games there. <sighs> um, yeah, that's the thing. There's just a le- different level of. It really makes you looking at a conference like this. Not to beat the, you know, beat beat a dead horse that is the Big Twelve, but it really adds an appreciation to just how deep that conference is. Yep. And 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 to a further extent, how deep just the rest of the power conferences are, because we're just not getting to this point with very many other teams. And like, right. but like even the SEC, like Georgia was atrocious last year, like truly, like truly, truly bad. Yeah. Um, like in the level, like wouldn't stick out in the bottom of this conference. It'd just be like, oh, yep, there's another really bad team down there at the right. bottom of this conference. But what the what the pack what the Big Twelve does every year is just truly remarkable. And I don't care how many schools they're actually are in the conference that that just doesn't the difference especially between 10 and you know the 12 that the pac 12 have yep all righty tournament teams how many you got i went with six okay which six did you go with arizona arizona state oregon stanford ucla usc did you add stanford in there yes did you have stanford in there yes um i got no faith in bobby hurley's arizona state teams they're not on my list I, the other yeah. five are the other yeah, five are. That doesn't and, shock me. And once again, here we are with our differences of philosophies yep. when it comes to this list. The Pac-12 is not getting six teams in the tournament. They're probably not getting five in the tournament either. If we're being like, yes. you made me. If you made me bet, the over/unders four and a half, if not three and a half, but probably yes. four and a half. Yes. Um, this season specifically, but it's probably four and a half, and so therefore, um. I, I won't put six teams on this list, but in very predictable fashion, um, you have one more team. Oh, that. yes. Yeah, very I, I very much see this as four teams that should make the NCAA tournament and two bubble teams that might or might be disappointing. It could, And I don't think both of them are going to deliver. So I'm with you. It's going to be four or five. Mm-hmm. I just, I would not be all that surprised if, Arizona State ends up beating out Stanford and gets the wins they need to in conference and ultimately sneaks in in the first four or something like that. I'm Yes, I am more, as we talked about before, generous, open-minded, <laughs> lack, you know, lax optimist. when it comes to... Yes, optimist. When it comes to who I consider the NCAA tournament. 
I do want to talk about, I mean, we've talked about these teams extensively at this point. I don't feel like we need to go over most of them. I do want to talk about USC for a second, though, because we haven't talked about them very much other than Vince Uwuchukwu. Mm-hmm. So the other two guys, Kajani Wright, Trey White, are other top 50-ish recruits, like I mentioned. It's not like Uwuchukwu is the only guy that's a big-time recruit coming in. Mm-hmm. You have Boogie Ellis, you have Drew Peterson. What I'm interested in with USC is what can you do when you don't have a, you know, all American caliber big? Cause mm-hmm. it seems like that's the difference between great USC and fine USC, right? You go from Evan Mobley to Isaiah Mobley. And all of a sudden you're just kind of another good pack 12 team, as opposed to what they were two seasons ago. And Kempom absolutely loved them. And Evan Mobley was one of the best bigs in the country. And people convinced themselves that they were actually going to beat Gonzaga in that sweet. Was that a was that a? They got destroyed by can Did they destroy Kansas or did Kansas destroy them? Oh, they, they destroyed. They Kansas. destroyed. They destroyed right, Kansas. Right, right, right. Yeah, and I think it was Gonzaga. Yeah, and I, then we, right. then we all got to the point, like everybody else who was trying to be different that year. Yeah, convinced they tried. They, people did a really good job convincing themselves that that they had a chance to beat that Gonzaga yeah. team. Okay, because so on long, right? yeah, on paper you throw. If Vintu Uchukwu was healthy and something to the level of Evan Mobley, all of a sudden you're talking about four teams with top 25 potential in this conference. Now, mm-hmm. unfortunately, you just don't know what, if anything, Uchukwu is going to be able to give you because he's got to make sure he's healthy first. He's doing the right thing after what happened. He, for those of you who don't know, he is indefinitely sidelined after suffering cardiac arrest over, I think it was over the summer. Mm-hmm. So now I still think, I mean, to me, there's still enough on paper that this should be an NCAA tournament team, even without him. But I just wanted to make that point, And I didn't know if you had anything to add on to it about every once in a while, we get really excited about USC and they kind of deliver on that. And it's because they had that foundation in the center at that, that number five spot. They looked like they were going to have it this season. And now it looks like they might not. And to me, that's the difference between them being a factor nationally and them not. Yeah, I don't have a ton to add there. Um, once again, it's another roster that looks pretty good for Indian Field. We'll see how they produce. And, of course, like you said, the the holes in the front court at this point are are pretty gaping, right? I mean, we're talking – I mean, hopefully there's a world in which Uwuchukwu is – plays and is productive and makes this team more interesting and gives them the front court talent that, like you said, that good USC teams tend to have. But if not, then of course there are some pretty obvious shortcomings when yep. it comes to the front court there, because I like the backcourt. I like Drew Peterson. I like Boogie Ellis a lot, um, but there's only so much you can do there, but I do think the talent on this team is capable of making a tournament um, as long as they win at a high level. Right. I'm not sure where I'm ever going to look up and USC is going to have beat a team that I was like, Whoa, USC beat that team. Um, partly because they just don't really have those games this year. I mean, the, the best non-conference that game they have is Auburn and nothing else is particularly close. Like we've got a lot of long beach state Mount St. Mary's kind of matchups. So like their roster 
They're they're projected to go 20 and nine. I'm not sure that's going to be enough wins to get them in the tournament, especially if they lose the wrong ones. But so that's the thing that's going to, that's going to determine for me uh, with a lot of these teams, but USC is kind of on that list of, do they win enough? Cause they might have to go like 23 and they might have to go like 22 and seven to make the tournament. If they don't, if they lose the wrong games and don't win the right ones and even winning the right ones means like they need to beat Auburn and they need to beat BYU on a neutral court non-conference to really have any sort of foundation when it comes to, to a, a tournament resume. And then of course you can get your, your wins in conference play. But as we talked about that, um, that means something different in the, the Pac-12 than it does in um, than it does in some other conferences. Yeah, and you know that this roster was built maybe not around, but definitely with Uruchuku as a foundational piece, right. which is the other complicated part of this. From a pure basketball standpoint, of course, his health is more important. But Andy Enfield was coming in thinking he had a five-star center to fill this gaping hole and then all of this and to I'm sure you know from the time last season ended he was thinking about how do I get the most out of Uruchuku how do I sort of build this offense and retool things now that we know we have another one of these big time centers coming in and now you got to sort of redo all of that and right emphasize the the perimeter more maybe you play a little bit smaller whatever it might be just without him, the roster looks very different. So there's that complexity of it too, that Andy Enfield, it's not like he came into the season knowing this is what his roster was going to be. He thought he had another important piece that he might end up not being able to use at all. Yep. All right. Who's your winner? My winner is UCLA. Akla. Did you pick UCLA to win this conference last year? I can tell you real quickly. Bear with me. I need you to tell me. I think you did. I hope you did. I think I, I'm pretty sure I did. I said I wouldn't be surprised if, I think I said I wouldn't be surprised if Oregon challenged them, but I picked UCLA. Yes. I said okay. at the end of the day, I'm still sold on some, that something actually happened at the end of last season. Gotcha. This is going to be closer than people think, though. And I believe I was talking about Oregon. I don't think it was Arizona. <laughs> no. So. It, it, instead, <laughs> it was Arizona who won the conference by three games. Right. right. <laughs> Um, going back to this season that Arizona bench just scares me mm -hmm. I've talked about it extensively I don't need to go over that again part of me wants to say Tommy Lloyd's going to find a way to be a factor here I just need to know they're going to have more than five important players Right. and I again I like Oregon's roster I couldn't bring myself to sit there and say the team that is disappointed winning the games they're supposed to consistently in this conference over the past couple of seasons is all of a sudden miraculously going to start doing that. And this is a flawed UCLA team in the sense that you have no proven front court. However, we talked about there is a solution. His name is Adam Bona. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I think part of it is I was just never the biggest Johnny Juzang guy. Maybe that explains why I think this team can be comparable to what I thought last year's could be. Mm. If you're asking me which team I'll take, I'll still take last season's. I will give them that much respect. They deserve that for what they've done. I just really like Jaime Hawkins and Jaime Hawkins is still there. And now he's got two five stars. If it mm. works, I am, I am very excited about what this team could be. I'm just having a hard time envisioning. I was more convinced about the floor and kind of, 
that UCLA was going to be good last season. Mm-hmm. Even if I didn't think they were going to be top five in the country. I wouldn't be stunned if this UCLA team is a little bit disappointing relying on two freshmen. I also wouldn't be stunned if the of Bailey and Bonar are fantastic and all of a sudden here comes UCLA looking like a Final Four contender when we get to the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, though, there was just nobody else in this conference I felt that I could justify picking. So the team that has done the best job in the regular season generally with the most returning players and two five-star recruits and Mick Cronin that's been to a Final Four recently is going to get the nod. Agreed. I don't have anything else left to say. UCLA. UCLA hey, is right. my you're right. I did. Poet didn't know it. Um I I I they're the team that I I mean, I guess it's not quite fair to say that if Oregon wins this conference, they're gonna do something I'm not expecting them to do. I guess by definition they will because I'm picking UCLA to win the conference, but I I don't think UCLA has to do anything that will surprise me to win the conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel I just feel most confident in their abilities to not lose back to back games in the conference to um, to get some wins on the road that would be iffy um, and not lose to the teams they're not supposed to. And this conference is just you know, you know. so shouts to the Bruins, shouts to Mick Cronin. The Cronin, the Cronin era in UCLA is real. It's real. We're here. We've arrived. <laughs> and I'm really excited to watch Amari Bailey and, and Adam and Adam Bona play. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. You got anything else? No. All I was going to say is maybe we do need to keep keep tabs a little bit on the bottom half of this conference. And if they if they overachieve and exceed expectations, give them a shout out at some point. Okay. So what, like heading into conference play, they're a collective, like only like 32 games under 500 or like rather than six, you get some good wins. Somebody's showing up on Ken Palm. Something. Somebody's see, that's a fun game. What is the best non-conference game that these bad teams are going to play? Like, like what is the most intriguing non-conference game? Um, Oregon States is probably Duke. I'm all oh, in. Yeah, that that would do it. And I'm guessing that's the that's got to be the 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 PK. That's got to be the PK. Oh, got to be November 24th. Yeah, got to yeah. be the PK. Yeah. Um. So, so we're okay. Lo- so you got some opportunities. We're, we're locked in on Oregon <laughs> State on November 24th. Um. Yep. We're absolutely locked in on that one. Cal. I was gonna say what about Cal? Cal yep. gets TCU on November oh, 25th. Yes. Yep, we're locked in on that. Listen, listen, Feast Week is a big <laughs> is a big week. They play Butler. Yep. See, I'm, oh right, right. Which, yep. which according to Kempom is just a one thirty preseason Kempom. Yeah, we don't need to talk about that. Yeah, you're yeah. So, so maybe we quick. need to do a reevaluation after Feast Week. Yes, yes. We need to also take note of the like the most. Oh my gosh, they're ranked that lowly Kempom teams and see where they are like heading into conference play. Mm-hmm. Um. Washington, we'll do we'll do one more after this. Washington plays Gonzaga on December 9th. There you okay. go. We're locked in. And then we'll go one more with Arizona State, who is the fourth lowest preseason Kempom team in Pac-12 this year. And they get Creighton on December 12th. Yes. All right. We're locked in. We're locked in. The opportunities okay. are there. Ripe with opportunities. All righty. Let's get out of here. You got anything else? 
Stay tuned later this week, conversation with Heat Tech College Basketball's Connor Hope talking about this very conference. Let's do it. Stay tuned on the podcast feed. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. We'll be back at the end of the week as we as we absolutely sprint towards the beginning of the college basketball season. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you later.